In your bulletin this morning or sermon notes, going to kind of pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago in the context of the power of words or the power of tongue. When Ted and I split this particular section of Scripture a few weeks ago when we were preparing for this series, really feeling like I wanted to come back and take some time here, and he shared last Sunday morning on the power of wisdom, did a phenomenal job. The beauty of that message last Sunday morning coming back to this one is, again, the power of wisdom in regards to how I use this three or four inch piece of flesh that sits in my mouth that has enormous power. James says three things. You have them in your sermon notes this morning. Over the last few months as we've been using this example that James gives us of a mirror, and the mirror being the Word of God and taking some time to look in it and see where I need to make some adjustments. James has been very honest. Now, again, I use his name all the time because he was the author. You just consciously need to remember that every time I may use that, it's God himself who has written his word, God himself who has preserved his word. So it's God speaking to us. And God says to us, I love you, I I really do, but I want to be honest about some issues in your life. So when you look in the word of God and he talks to us, he's talking to us about some of those areas. Talks to us about sin in our lives. He talked to us about prejudice. Talk to us about the way we use our influence, whatever capacity that may be a few weeks ago. Whether you're a teacher or a a dad or a mom, wherever you may find yourself, most all of us have a power of influence in some way or the other. And James says, I really want to have you take a real hard look at that platform that I have given you in regards to the influence you have on people and how well you use that influence. He said, I also want to talk about where you get wisdom and then what you do with that wisdom when you get it. Are you consciously relying on the world for the wisdom that you need to have to deal with the circumstances of life? Or are you coming to me? And if you're coming to me, I need you to know what mine looks like. Ted did a great job last Sunday morning of laying that out and then talking to us about how that applies to how we raise our children, how we work with our mate. This morning, I want to go back to the first half of that, actually from verses 3 on, and where James talked to us about the tongue having enormous power. It's in your sermon notes. It has the power to give direction. James chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. James chapter 3. And your sermon notes as well. You haven't had those for a while. It kind of pulls you back into where we've been. The tongue has the power to give direction, verse 3 and 4. When you put bits into the mouth of a horse to make them obey us, you can turn the whole animal. Take a ship for an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. James equates the fact that the tongue has the same power to give direction. He also says in verse 5, the tongue has the power to damage. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. And thirdly, the tongue has the power to reveal what's really inside of us. With the tongue, we praise God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Nor can a salt spring produce fresh water. Tongue has the power to give direction. It has the power to damage. It has the power to honestly reveal what's inside of us. Proverbs writer says the tongue has the power to give life or to bring death. Now, this is Valentine's weekend. 
All of you, I'm sure, have known that. You've probably already been out buying a thousand things for the mate, the one that you love the most, right? You've already planned on it. You've got the card already done. You've got breakfast already in your mind that you want to prepare tomorrow morning as you're going to serve them in bed, right? You've got all that done? How many of you guys are sitting here going, that's tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow, being this fascinating parallel between where we are with words, tomorrow more words are going to be used then probably most days combined for a week or two beyond that. Words like, I really do love you. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I couldn't live without you. I don't know where I'd ever been had you not come into my life. Most of you are going to say that on a card. You're going to spend some time yesterday or today or tomorrow morning or before you leave work so that you can make sure you have something when you get home. And you're going to look for that perfect card. And you're going to want to make sure that it has the right words on it. And you're going to say things like that. And it may say something you really want to say. It may have the exact words that you want to use. Or it may be you're borrowing somebody else's words. But you're going to use words in a very powerful way. And words have enormous power to them. They have the opportunity and they have the power to inflate us. You can say words like the air in these balloons. And, and you can lift somebody's spirit. You can say things to them like, I really do love you. You're more than I could have ever imagined. You're the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. I don't know what I would do without you. And you love the fact that they're in your life. And every time you say one of those things, you can feel the wind going into your life. You can feel the air going into your emotional well-being. And you know that it just can raise you up. You know that in regards to the power of words in any context. Words can inspire like a politician who really wants you to believe that what they're going to do or what they're going to bring is going to change society or change the world. Words have the power to change a life. They have the power to change a family. They have the power to change or direct a nation. And tomorrow and yesterday and today, and when you open your mouth at any time, in any given day, you have the opportunity to put wind into somebody's life. You can lift them up. You can encourage them. You know, and I do know that you also have the power with words to take the wind out of their life. If I were to open up the bottom of this balloon this morning and take the, take the knot out of it and let the air slowly diminish, you'll see it pretty soon falling flat. And all of a sudden, the energy that was in there at some point or the other began to deteriorate. And you'll hear the phrases come out of your mouth, and you may not even notice it sometimes, but you can watch the demeanor of someone and know that by your very words, you can see the air going out of their life. You can see the energy going out of them. You can see that expression that once was there that isn't there anymore. You see it in your mate. You can see it in your kids. You can see it in the people around you or the people at work. I've seen it at church. I've seen it done to pastors. I've seen pastors do it to people where things are said and statements are made, and all of a sudden the energy that was there or the feeling they had that particular morning just kind of began to dwindle and diminish until the wind started going out of their sails or out of their balloon, and by the end of the day they're flat. My, many of you, I'm sure, at some point or the other, experience that every day at work. You get up in the morning and you feel encouraged. You feel like the air is back in your balloon. You can't wait to start the day. And then all of a sudden you go to work and somebody puts you down or something that wasn't, was supposed to be done wasn't done or whatever that may be. Or somebody curses at you. Somebody doesn't like you. They don't care what you are, who you are. They say things about you or say things to you or behind you. 
Till by the end of the day, you feel like your whole world has just collapsed. And you come home and the air is out of your balloon, the air is out of your life, and then you come into a context where maybe your mate doesn't support you, doesn't encourage you, doesn't put wind back into your sails or your kids, and all of a sudden you find that the air has gone out of that balloon and it, it no longer rises like it used to. It just falls flat. And it's all, in so many contexts, based on the power of words, on what is said, and how it's said, and the way it's said, and how often it's said. Every once in a while, I'm sure you've been around some people who, by the power of their words, not only take the wind out of your sails, but they cut, and it's sharp, and it hurts, and you fall flat. I'm sure there are people in your life that every once in a while you avoid who just by the power of their tongue cut. And it hurts. And it's sharp. And you don't know why. You don't know what it is that's behind us sometimes, and other times you do, but you feel the pain that's coming either from them, but you certainly feel the pain that has come to you as a result of, a, of an unkind word or a mean statement. Or something to say to a child, how stupid can you be? Or whatever statements that we use like that, that not just simply takes the air out of them, but sharp, is sharp and cuts so hard that it deflates them completely. James says, I need you to know, I need you to take this so seriously. Because words have enormous power. And I just want you to understand that. Tomorrow, I'm sure, when you use those words on your mate or with your kids or whoever you find that you want to just simply share in that context, I know so many people say it's just Hallmark's way of making money or Flora's way of making a lot of money, whoever started Valentine's Day. I'm not going to argue that. It doesn't really matter. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that take advantage of that day to say something about someone they really, really love. I hope that you really think on not just simply that day, but on a regular basis, the power of the words that you're about to use. James says, I, need just, I, just, I just don't quite understand it at times. It's a little thing that is in the body. But it can give direction to somebody. It can encourage them and lift them. It can send them in the wrong direction. Someday you're going to end up in jail. You're never going to amount to anything. And that can also be a negative direction. And so often, I've done a number of surveys to notice that 70 to 75% of those people who ended up in jail, ended up in jail, had a father or mother who said, someday you're going to end up in jail, and all they're doing is living up to the expectation. They have the power to damage. As Proverbs says, they have the power to give life and energy and focus. We're going to pull it apart this minute, this morning, just for the next few minutes together. And I want to look at the various verses and the things that he says about it. In James chapter 3, verse 5, it's in your notes, James compares the tongue to a fire. He says the likewise, comparing it to a bit and a horse and a rudder on a ship, likewise the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. Now, in appropriate boundaries, a fire can be a good thing, right? i got a gas furnace, so I want to make sure that there's fire in my furnace. If not, I'm going to call Dave McCarl and say, it's really cold in my house. And the fire has gone out. He'll come out and help me figure that out. 
I want to make sure, because we have a gas stove, that it, it, it's in appropriate boundaries on my stove. It provides life. It provides our food. It, it, it does everything we need. Fire within the campfire, within the confines of the rock. Provide what? Light. Provides warmth. For a lot of people, it provides a place to have conversations. We go on camping trips every summer, and we start the fire in the campfire, and we'll share for hours around there. There's something mesmerizing about it. Something just opens up conversations. We'll talk about life. Within appropriate boundaries, it can do a lot of good things. But you take the boundaries away and give a fire-free restraint, and it can do enormous damage. House can be destroyed. Forests can be destroyed. How many times have you heard a, a forest fire being started by the fact that somebody threw out a match in an inappropriate way or left a campfire unattended, and all of a sudden that thing that was within the confines of those boundaries ended up going beyond that and destroyed an entire forest? Only been to Yellowstone one time. We had saved up our money. We were in a life conference in Salt Lake City, rented a car. I've always wanted to take my kids to Yellowstone. So we drove, never thought the fact that a few years before that Yellowstone had an enormous fire. And so many areas were absolutely obliterated by the fire. But when you see it, you're stunned by the damage that a fire does. The same can happen to a life and the tongue when there's no boundaries put around it. If you don't put any boundaries, Holy Spirit boundaries around that little four-inch piece of flesh in our bodies, false truths or half-truths can ruin a reputation destroy a family, or divide a church. And the problem with a fire, I think it's in your notes, the problem with a fire is that which a fire burns cannot be unburnt. Makes sense, right? That which a fire burns cannot be unburnt. It can be forgiven, but it cannot be unburned. It cannot be undone. The story is told of a man in a church who started a, a really nasty rumor. It began to filter all through the church Finally, it eventually got back to the pastor, and I've said on a number of occasions that Ernest and Julio Gallo would love the grapevines in most churches. I know it takes a while to get that one. So all of a sudden, it came back to the pastor, and at some point or the other, the man really realized what he had done, the damage that had taken place. He came to the pastor and apologized. He said, I want to ask your forgiveness. The pastor obviously offered it, and he said to him, I want you to do a favor for me. I want you to go home, get a feather pillow, and bring it back to me tomorrow. So he did. Took him up to the bell tower of the church, put a fan in front of it, took a knife, opened up the pillow, and in front of that fan, in front of the wind that was in that bell tower, allowed all the feathers out of that feather pillow to disperse as far as the eye could see. It was all said and done. He looked at the man and he said, Now I want you to go out there and I, I want you to take all of those feathers, gather them up, and put them back in the pillow. The man said, It's impossible. It can't be done. You can't put it back together. You can't put them back in. You can't undo what you just did. Pastor said, I know. And now you know. And he walked out of the tower. Oh, what a great forest fire can be set ablaze by one small match. Great way to see the context that James is trying to describe here in this particular section of Scripture is like someone standing with a lit match near an open gas valve. It's not lit yet, but you can kind of smell the gas dissipating out. and you, you know there's someone standing somewhat near it, and then all of a sudden, obviously, when that person comes over near that open gas, the flame begins to ignite. 
Word of God says here in this particular context that the tongue has the power to reveal in verses 9 to 12 what's really inside of us. Hell has no power to move my tongue or open my mouth. I don't believe that's what James is referring to at all. But it does hold the match. And it looks for fuel that's leaking as a result of a, a, a number of things that have gone on in my life. Hell doesn't have the power, and I don't think that's what James is referring to here when he said it's set on fire by hell. It doesn't have the power to move my tongue or to open my mouth. But it does hold the match. And what it's looking for is an open flame somewhere so that it can set it down and all of a sudden see it take off. Now the open flame or the open gas comes from a, a number of contexts. Sometimes it's just the, the lack of a spirit-controlled tongue where a person doesn't have restraints. But Sometimes it comes from a lot of pent-up emotions. Circumstances in my life, unresolved issues, painful past, my hurts and wounds, the difficulty of the day, whatever it may be. But what James says is that hell has the, the ability to, to look for that appropriate moment, that thing that's been left unresolved, that gas that's leaking out of there, be it a circumstance of life, just be it your day or an uncontrolled tongue or an uncontrolled or unspirit-controlled tongue, it's looking for where the gas is leaking. And when it finds it, it sets a match to it. Now, we usually say things like, we're sorry, and then follow it up with, I don't know where that came from. To which James would say, I think you do. I think you do. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a circumstance where somebody has lashed out or said something or you have said something that you didn't mean to say. You certainly didn't want it to come out, but it came out. And, and then you found yourself saying that. I don't know where that came from. I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. But you know and I know that it's happened on a number of occasions. And if you're really honest, you probably do know somewhat of where it came from. James says in verse 11 to 12, I've got to be honest with you. You can't have fresh water and salt water come from the same spring. Fig trees don't bear olives and grapevines don't bear figs. Spring and salt water doesn't come from a fresh spring. There's something going on inside. There's a lot of stuff that is either there or has been there or you know about that you haven't dealt with, and you know it and I know it, and then all of a sudden, at some appropriate moment, the gas that has already been leaking gets out, and Satan comes along, and the demon comes along with that lit match, and bam, the explosion takes place, and the damage is done. Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, it's not in your sermon notes, you ought to write that verse down, these words. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth will speak what the heart is full of. The mouth will speak what the heart is full of. In other words, it just reveals what is already in there. It doesn't have the power to put that stuff in there. It's just simply a revealer of what's already there. Good things that come out, encouragement, praise, adoration, good words, air in the balloon, or it's also a revealer of some of that stuff that's stuffed down inside there that in that context, when that moment happens, the gas is turned on and it's left unresolved and the match gets set, the fire ignites. There are a number of things that cause us to lash out or fuel the fire that James uses in his metaphor here. A couple of things that I want to share with you this morning. One is usually some form of hurt or pain. A lot of the times by everyday issues, either I didn't get my way or things didn't go the way I expected or they planned, and, and I just get frustrated as it continues to build up. 
chapter 4, in a few weeks when we get there, James is going to talk about that. He said, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, we wouldn't kill someone, obviously, because we don't get our way physically, but James says, in both contexts, you're, you are doing it with words. And that pent-up anger, pent-up emotions, unleft, uh, just the day's events or the selfishness inside of us that's going to come out of some way or the other, usually we'll do that. And a lot of times, those things that lash out and hurt someone are usually as a result of just a lot of experiences through the day or the week that has just built up. The other place that the fuel comes from sometimes is not everyday hurt and pain, but long-term, in your notes, historical pain from the past. Issues that have never been dealt with, deep wounds of the soul left undealt with for years. And at some point or the other, poison the soul or poison the heart, which will eventually poison the tongue. And Jesus would say, out of the mouth or out of the heart, the mouth will speak. Wounds left undealt with, pain from the past, hurt that hasn't been healed, that slowly leaks out and becomes the flammable fuel waiting for the spark to set it off. Because from our wounds, we wound. And from our hurts, we hurt. From our wounds we wound, and from our hurts we hurt. It can happen to those that never go to church. And it can happen to those who sit in a pew, teach a class, or preach from a pulpit. Who've left wounds undealt with for years, who have never dealt with some of the stuff going on inside of them, and all of a sudden find that that pain or that hurt or those undealt with issues, at some point or the other, will find the right moment and the right appropriate flame, and the gas has been left on way too long, never shut off, never dealt with, until someone stands around or a circumstance comes around, and the match is there, and the explosion takes place. And we hurt a lot of people in the process. Usually those that... We hurt that are the closest to us are usually the ones we hurt the deepest because they're the ones that happen to be standing near when the match gets set to all of that gas that's been left staying there way too long. James says, I just want to be really honest with you even though I know you say you don't know where that came from or what was going on inside of there, but I think you do. Because good things and bad things can't come out of the same spring. A fruit tree doesn't bear olives and an olive tree doesn't bear figs. So there's stuff inside there that has never been dealt with, that has been left unresolved. Pain from the past, either through a week or through a long-term experience that you just never dealt with, you always buried, always hoped would go away, and never did. And now all of a sudden someone or something or some situation happened and an explosion takes place. And people get hurt. So what do we do? I have some ideas in your sermon notes for you. One is, be really honest about letting God go deep down inside that place. Whatever that may be. Allowing the Spirit of God to go really deep inside. We've got to be really honest about what's going on inside of us. Honest with our pain. Honest about our sin. Because sin left unresolved will ultimately destroy you ask God what psalmist did when he said search me O God and know my heart see if there's anything in me that is 
creating a barrier, anything in me that is not appropriate, anything in me that is just keeps me coming back to these times where I lash out and speak out and I hurt and I wound. As opposed to being one of these people that just go around lifting up others and, and putting wind back in their sails and putting air back in their balloon and always lifting them up. Lord, I, I, I really need to be honest. Would you look inside and see what is it that causes that? Be really honest about some of the stuff inside that needs to be dealt with. Now, I'm only be talking to one person in this room this morning. Because all the rest of you are incredible encouragers, always putting wind in everybody's sail, always lifting everybody's balloon, always putting energy into every situation and circumstance. But there may be one person in here this morning that's got some stuff inside that they've honestly left unresolved for years that they need to deal with. So the first thing to do is say, God, what is it? You know what's been going on. A lot of people around me know. To be honest with you, I know. What is it? Now, it may, may take the second thing, and that is to seek some help. Most likely professional, and we can help you with that. We can point you in the right direction. There's a lot of mystique or a stigma that goes with seeking professional help that I've never understood. I've done it. I think it's one of the benefits of being a part of the body of Christ where we have people that are professional to help us walk through various things that we don't quite understand. Why do I react the way I do? Why do I let this go on? What is it that keeps haunting me in this context? I've never understood why we don't do that and then keep dragging it around with us all the rest of our life and know that it's there. There's so many resources to do that. Third thing is to repent and to forgive. To repent and forgive. And some will say, repent for what? I didn't do anything. And that may be true, but you've allowed it to remain there and undealt with way too long. Offering forgiveness may be the most difficult part of the process because you may have not done anything to cause that pain from the past and And they may not even be asking for forgiveness. But the longer you hold on to unforgiveness, the more the fuel builds up. And then when that spark hits the fuel, you'll hurt a lot of people that you're closest to who you may have already hurt. Corey Ten Boone, if you're not familiar with her story, you ought to read her somewhere along the way. A fascinating individual and a fascinating story. Nazi Germany, when 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 the Nazis took over and was in a concentration camp, her and her family, her and her sister specifically, and her sister eventually died in that context. Years after she was released, when the war was over, as she began to speak and to share her story, she was in the context where one of the cruelest prison guards in that Nazi concentration camp was there that day and came up to her and asked her to forgive him. If you read the story, some of the atrocities are overwhelming. But this man asked her to forgive him. She said it was one of the hardest things I ever did. And as I began to reach my hand out to his, the Spirit of God began to take over and began to move into my life and to move into my heart. Tears began to flow, and I offered forgiveness, and he received it. It was one of the most amazing moments in my life. And then later she said this phrase, To forgive is to set a prisoner free, only to discover that the prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was you. 
What if they don't ask for forgiveness? What if they never admit what they did? The best example I can give you comes from an amazing person in an unbelievable place. The person, Jesus. The place, the cross. Falsely accused, betrayed, abandoned by his closest friends, beaten beyond recognition, alone and dying, surrounded by people taking pleasure in his pain. His words are what? Father, forgive them. First Peter describes it this way. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he didn't make threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. As painful as the process may be, it may be the first time in your life where you're able to turn the gas valve off. And when that happens, the sparks of life, so to speak, no longer have anything to set the fire to. If at the cross you bring your pain, your hurt, your wounds, and your suffering, you will find that by his stripes you can be healed. Unhealed, unhealed wounds will poison the soul, and if left unresolved, will poison the tongue. Believers and unbelievers alike will from their wounds wound, and from their hurts hurt. Tame the tongue to make sure that it's putting wind and life and energy into people's lives. You may need to be honest about some of the stuff going on inside. You may need to seek some help. You may need to offer forgiveness. We may need to seek forgiveness. But I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, if you are and as you are willing to go through that process, it may be some of the most amazing days of your life by letting go of some stuff you've been carrying around for a long time that you know and the people around you know has hurt you and hurt them. You can be that person that can put life in people's lives. You can put wind in their sails, air in their balloon. You can be the kind that deflates it and the kind that snaps it. A lot of that has to do with the choice. And the biggest thing is to allow God what he wants to do, which is what he says here, submit to me and let me control your tongue Jesus Ted said last Sunday morning unbelievable heavenly wisdom Lord help me to know when to speak when to be quiet when to talk when not to when to say it and when to be silent you don't always have to have the last word you don't always have to have a better story you don't always have to win every argument You don't always have to be funny. You don't always have to critique. You don't always have to get your point across. What we need is to allow our lives to be so controlled by the Spirit of God that He will tell us when to speak and when to encourage and when to be silent and when to say what needs said. All by the power of God's Spirit. Four pieces of advice at the end of your sermon notes. Every so often when it comes within the context of using the tongue or using words, we need to learn every once in a while just to be the wet blanket. Just put the fire out. 
Be the one that doesn't repeat it. Be the one that doesn't pass it along. Just kind of be the one that puts the fire out. Secondly, be slow to believe a bad report. I don't know why we always look for the negative. We all have a tendency to do that. I'm just as guilty, I'm sure, at times as anybody. We have the tendency to believe the negative. Be slow to believe a bad report. Be wise enough to know when someone else's fire issue or hurt feelings or problems or concern isn't yours. And finally, be really honest about what you've passed on. Or if you rejoice in someone else's pain and failure, and ask forgiveness. Proverbs says the tongue has the power to bring life or to bring death. It is one of the most amazing instruments in the body. So unbelievably small. So incredibly powerful. I encourage you, I challenge you, as God has challenged me, submit to him, to the power and control of the Spirit of God, to use this little thing in me to bring life and energy to the people around me. Let's pray. Father, again, couldn't be a more powerful segment of Scripture than in the issues that James deals with in these five short chapters. And I do ask in the name of Jesus that during these moments as we begin to look inside that you will speak and you alone. So easy to hear a thousand different voices in our head and we just want to hear yours. If there's some unresolved issues, stuff from our past that we need to be really honest about, God Almighty, would you give us the courage to deal with it, to not let it be there and remain there, always looking for a mask to set it off? Find some release in you. And so God, by the power of your spirit, would you speak in just these closing minute or two? Would you speak? And let us hear your voice.